Welcome to another edition of the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel, brought to you and powered by InsideTexas.com. I'm your host, Justin Wells. For this edition of X's and O's, we do this every week. And today joining me are two fabulous human beings. We've got Paul Waddlington to my left, the man that knows no bounds and knows a little bit about everything. And then we've got our man Ian Boyd at the bottom. He's our X's and O's guru at Inside Texas, and he's also a birthday boy. This man has, has a birthday today, and so anytime you see Ian today via social media, anytime, be sure to give him a little shout for our man on his birthday. Um, he even shaved today, so he looks good. Gentlemen, we've got a really interesting subject to cover today, and this is something that, you know, we were going over this in pre-production, and there is a lot to do with this, but we get this question a lot. Do recruiting rankings matter? Do stars matter when it comes to recruiting? And I think we're going to try to dissect this. We're going to do a deep dive. We're going to get into the numbers of it because that, you know, numbers don't lie. And, and, and we're going to, and that's why we've got guys like Paul and, and Ian in there. I'm going to be able to add a little bit of the valuation process when it comes to getting into these star rankings and, and things of that sort. Then we're going to look at some charts and some tables where the numbers actually skew, where they go. What, what position is a high hit position? What's, what spots are low hit positions? To me, some of this stuff is fascinating, and I think that's why we're doing this show today. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Um, Paul, I'm going to let you get started. Uh, you go ahead and set the floor for this show because we, we, we've got a lot to cover on this and, and I want to make sure we, we, we hit every uh, nail on the head um, by getting us started. Let's look at recruiting versus uh, rankings versus reality. Lead, lead it off my man. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't set the floor, Justin. I'm the ceiling buddy. Come on. He's like, no, <laughs> not at all. Hey, uh, this is an interesting topic. So often we talk about the X's and O's, but Equally or more important is the Jimmys and the Joes. And that's going to be what we're discussing today. And I want to start it off by the notion that the sign of a first-rate intelligence is being able to keep multiple seemingly opposed ideas in your head at the same time. So that's the challenge for us as presenters, but also the challenge for you as viewers and listeners. I want you to keep multiple ideas in your head at one time. And specifically, what we're going to start off with is the idea that the rankings of elite high school players broadly are actually pretty good in terms of, and we're going to talk about at the very end, in terms right. of the NFL draft. However, if you look at positional skew, the product isn't very good. It's not matching up to reality. It's not matching up to the reality of future NFL GMs and future NFL teams. And this is something that I want to talk about. So, in 2024, okay, we're just looking at the rankings. There are 20 wide receivers in the top 100 in the state of Texas. Nine running backs and seven quarterbacks, okay? 36 of the top 100 in the state of Texas play receiver, running back, or quarterback. Receiver is responsible for 20 of that. Now, if you just look at the positions on the football field, 22 starting positions, we're not going to include special teams. We know that the offensive line and the defensive line, assuming you run a four-man front, that's over 40-something percent of your, your starters, just right there. Yeah. Yet we've got 36% of the starters at only five total positions on the field, assuming it's three wide, right? 
Then we look at the national top 100. Was that just a skewing towards Texas? No. In fact, Texas was a little conservative. The national top 100, 25 wide receivers, a quarter of the top 100 players in the country play wide receiver. Three of your 22 starters in a modern three wide offense. Is something adding up here? Let's also add in nine quarterbacks and then five running backs. So now you're at 39 of the top 100 nationally. Almost 40% are those three positions. That doesn't make sense. And here's a quick rule of thumb to tell you that it doesn't make sense. The 2023 NFL draft, gentlemen, four wide receivers went in the first round of 30 of 32 picks. Three quarterbacks. And by the way, all three in the top five and two running backs. That's nine of the 32. So that's a percentage that's about 28% of the NFL first round draft. That's actually commensurate to that proportional representation of those positions on the field. Slightly over uh, because quarterback's the most important position and you're always going to overdraft there. If a guy can fog a mirror, he's getting drafted, right? So why is our high school rankings so skewed specifically towards wide receiver being the biggest outlier and then probably running back and quarterback a little bit as well. Quarterback may be defensible because it's such an important position, right. but I want to understand why there's such a disconnect because if I was an NFL GM and both of you were assistant GMs and I said, I need a quick preliminary ranking of the top hundred players in college. And you brought me a list where 25 of the top 100 players were wide receivers. I would very nicely hand you a cardboard box and go tell you to pack up your stuff. And a nice security guard is going to escort you out of the building. Absolutely. And, and you'd be justified in that. Ian, why do you think there's such a giant gap there? Why, 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 why you know, wh- where do you see that going? I think there's some really honest reasons for why that happens that Justin, you, you were getting into before the show that you probably explained maybe better than I do. And then there are some uh, more like perverse incentives here. Like for instance, if you're selling fans on a recruiting ranking and class rankings, what's more exciting to fans, the third or fourth offensive lineman that you got or the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, the running backs. On three has this really fascinating new tool for measuring NIL. And we have estimated NIL valuations for these players. Right. Who gets the higher NIL valuations? Your, 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 your quarterback, running back, and wide receivers. Exactly. And it's that's legitimate, too, because, I mean, to the extent that the NIL serves as a slush fund for competitive players trying to buy players, for competitive programs trying to buy players, then yes, linemen will collect big sums of money. But in terms of legitimate NIL, like what your name means in advertising in your community, then yeah, wide receivers, running backs, and quarterbacks are at the top. Um, It's been that way before NIL, but I think that actually maybe uh, exacerbates that issue of getting the top clustered with with those positions. Here's another thing. Camps. You don't get linebackers at summer camps where we're sending people to cover. And if you do, they're like. They're covering running backs in the flat 
And yeah, or they're playing, like it. they're doing tap dance choreography with a running back between two cones. Yeah. You're, it's not anything like what matters for playing linebacker in a nope. game. There's no half line option drill at camp, you know? Um, and uh, there, one more thing I, I kind of want to get to that's, that's related to this is I, I feel like rankings are a little bit dishonest from the beginning and that they, I, I don't think they should, they should be designed to tell us who's going to be in the NFL draft. I think that they do that reasonably well because the things that make for high rankings in high school are obvious traits of athleticism and body type. Right. And then obviously if you rate those, the guys that are the biggest, the strongest and the fastest high, that's going to correlate to which guys play in the NFL. But it feels like a, a misleading bill of goods to say, here are our class rankings this is going to correlate to who gets drafted. Well, it should correlate to who wins college football games, right? And if, it feels like there was a bit of a bait and switch to where it became the rankings were pumped up by, we're really good at telling you we have a really high hit rate for the NFL, as opposed to we're telling you which teams are accumulating talent that's going to result in winning football games. All right. Look, I got it. We got to say because Justin okay. and I are really buying this. You can read the body language, right? This is X's and O's, Ian, pushing back on Jimmy's and Joe's segment, right? Um, no, no, really. No, no, seriously. I, I, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but you made some great points, Ian. But that last point, like, I understand the desire to talk about systemic, systemic fit and all that sort of stuff. And there's plenty of very great college players that aren't clean NFL projections. But that's typically at a few positions, right? Quarterback, most most notably, right? Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, these are, are dominant college quarterbacks, not so dominant in the NFL for, for reasons that are fairly apparent. However, the system fit guys and those sorts of things, we're kind of going to bury – I think we buried the lead a little bit on this, but we'll talk about this at the end. The star rankings are an attempt to project NFL players – and the number of NFL players on your roster is almost an exact correlation to your wins and to your ability to win the national title. Georgia, Alabama, Michigan. Michigan, hey, we love their system. They're well coached. They're going to have 12 guys drafted, Ian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I think we need to be clear that we don't over, overdo the exceptions because they're so interesting and fun. Yeah. When understanding the core of this is D-line. O-line, DBs, are you pumping out six, seven of those guys every year into the NFL? If you are, you're in the playoffs or you're playing for a conference championship. More likely than not. Are there exceptions? Yes, but exceptions are, are typically proving the rule in this instance. Justin, what do you think? You know, just a couple things on what Ian – I love what Ian said about, you know, the quarterback, running back, wide receiver. Those are more selling points. And I think there's, and I've got a little, I've got a little sample to that. You know, my son and I collect, you know, sports cards, football, basketball, and baseball. If you look at a box of any baseball cards, there could be any position on that box. Could be a pitcher, could be a catcher, could be a rookie first baseman. It, there, there's, there's no positions. It doesn't matter. Basketball is the same way. You could have Luca. You could have Steph Curry. You could have Giannis. You could have all the positions. When you look at a box of football cards, 
I've never seen a linebacker on the box. I've never seen an offensive tackle on the box. You know what you do see? Quarterbacks, yeah. running backs, and wide receivers. Because that's what sells. And I think that's part of the recruiting ranking system. It, incidentally, even if it's inaccurate, which we've found some, some holes in it, that's part of the sell because that's what people recognize. That's what's that's why their NIL evaluations are higher in general than other positions. It's just more exposure. It's just more on that, on that, 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 that bigger, that bigger sell. Like, hey, this is this, this is that. But from a team standpoint of what he was, what you guys were talking about, you know. The NFL does not draft on good college football players. They draft on potential. They don't draft on production, strangely enough. Otherwise, Charlie Ward would have played years. And, and, and some of these other guys would have, you know, Cliff Kingsbury would have played years in the NFL. They don't draft on production. It's all about potential production. And I think that's where the rankings, we see some accuracy, especially at the top of those percentages. And But at the bottom, my goodness, I didn't realize how much of a gap there was when it comes to other positions which we'll we'll kind of get into hey justin let me let's dig in on that a little bit i'll give you an a big outlier just to illustrate our point that's a little i kind of gave you the broad stuff for 2024 those rankings and how they're skewed versus the reality of the nfl draft because those rankings do purport to tell you future nfl players which in turn should also translate to college ability right right in 2019, and again, this is an outlier. They, they've done better in other years. In fact, I think this was the year where they had to rethink some stuff and rein it in a little bit because I think someone saw it and just said, this is silly. In 2019, 11 of the top 25 players in the state of Texas were wide receivers. That's that's silly, right? Now, I understand every year is not consistent. Everyone knows that. Justin knows that more than anyone. There's just years where there's not a quarterback in the state of Texas that that's really exciting. There's Elite. other years where there's legitimately five and you're like, holy cow, Andrew Luck, Robert Griffin, you know, we didn't recruit yeah. either, uh, uh, but uh, or we didn't recruit effectively, I should say. So my question then, I want to narrow down on the specific issue beyond cynical reasons, marketing reasons, forget that, throw that out. Ian's point is wonderful in that regard, but from an evaluator perspective, why are wide receivers consistently skewed? Is it just that these guys are getting the ball and they're able to run around and they've got highlights and they're scoring and it, it influences even the evaluator that they think that guy is more valuable than the six foot six, 275 pound guy with ballerina feet uh, uh, playing offensive tackle? You know, when we talked about a pre-production, I thought man, Texas does have a lot. And then we looked at it from a country standpoint and the, and then the national was pretty, pretty, you know, similar to, to, to Texas in that regard. Yeah, was the same. I think, I think it's a couple factors. One, the most obvious to me, it's lazy. It's lazy evaluations because when you go to a camp and, and we do this religiously, what, what's the first thing you, you notice about a camp is a wide receiver making a play because in the camp setting that is geared for the wide receiver. The DB can almost not win in that scenario. So it's already geared to help the offensive guys. It, it, it's kind of in, in, in a weird way. That's that's just kind of how it is. And so I think a lot of times you'll see a DeCorey and Moore make two or three really good plays because he is a five star wide receiver. He is a legitimate guy. And then you'll see three or four other guys make some pretty good plays as well. And they automatically want to say, yeah, and then you had this guy and you had that guy. But. 
but that doesn't make him make them on par with DK Moore. It just means they made two plays against potentially a JVDB in a camp setting. It, it's lazy evaluation in my period, in, in, in my opinion. And so that's part of it. And then you also have to think about like wide receivers also a very diva like position. They, they like that attention. And the more attention a player gets, the more promotable, the more value exposure you see from that guy, because they're the ones when they make a catch and they, they like to, you know, the wide receiver position can be a little diva in a way. And I think that's also part of it because there's some self-promoting in that. And I think that gets into scouts. I think that gets into the evaluators, seeing that part of it. And, 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 and I, one of y'all mentioned this earlier with the camps, like it's, you can see some stuff from O-line and D-line when they do one-on-ones. Now, granted, they're not in pads, but you can see traits. You see size, you see movement, you see intensity, you see effort. And, and that all, those all factor into it. But then when you bring in a linebacker, all you're seeing is a guy covering a running back in space between two cones a lot of times. And that is the maybe the worst possible way to evaluate. And now you're asking, well, why are we talking about camps? Because camps have a huge, huge incentive in these recruiting rankings. They'll, the, the, these sites will tell you that. If, if you see a player that doesn't go to many camps, unless he's just unbelievably elite, his ranking goes down because he hasn't been seen as much. There's not as much exposure. The only thing I go back is on film. And then you got to go back to film and watch film. And, and in the state of Texas, it's a spread era. And what you're seeing are three or four wide receivers in every set and every offense. And you're seeing those opportunities are increasing. And so I think mostly it's lazy, but I also think it's because we're in a scoring era and in an era where the quarterback is so important and the receivers are just much more visible. There's so much more. You're seeing more work done there than you are on the other side. Now, can you find a good corner in a camp? Absolutely. But here's the problem. A good corner in camp doesn't mean he's good in high, uh, good in high school, college, or the pros. It just means he's a good athlete. You have to really dissect that corner, look at the high school tape, look at his camp stuff, and see if you can see fluidity in his hips. See if you can see his, you know, his feet and his ankles, how he turns, his body, his, his mechanics, and things of that sort. It's fascinating to me because I think every position has their own positives and negatives when it comes to game film and it comes to camps. But for whatever reason, we're in a time where, well, we see more we see more receivers. So we just, I guess, we have to talk about more receivers. And in the draft, that's con- that's confirming it, Paul. We're seeing more receivers drafted earlier, and we're seeing less running backs than we were 20, 25 years ago. It is rare when you see a running back or two go in the first round. I believe in this last year's, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs were the only two running backs that went in the first round. Both incredibly talented guys and guys believe it or not that's kind of rare for the last I guess five to seven year window and so it to me it's just fascinating because I think we we it's lazy number one but it's it's easier to write up something you can see happen a couple times rather than really digging into the trenches and figuring out well is this D lineman a defensive end or is he a defensive tackle well let's just put him in that category because he could be both in college well you have to look for those traits it's easier to see it in receivers and quarterbacks than it is in those other positions. Also, to, to bring some X's and O's into this, if I have a really good wide receiver in a high school team, I can move him around to, in a spread set. 
until I've got him lined up on the future plumber. Yeah. Right. And then he's going to look awesome. And the other team, their best athlete is probably playing wide receiver too. And if he is playing cornerback, the odds that their scheme is flexible enough to have him shadow my guy, a little dicey. Little dicey. Yeah. I I might want to avoid the plumber. I'm going to look for the chiropractor or the orthodontist, right? (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you, you can, I mean, so high school is getting so sophisticated in terms of the level of coaching that you can hunt matchups, right? You're, 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 so you're really highlighting these guys even more. It used to be the bell cow running back would dominate the high school game because it's pretty easy to hand a football off, right? Exactly. But the passing game, you know, even just 30 years ago, you had elite wide receivers who'd catch two balls in a high school game, three balls, right? You were you were doing Roy stuff. Williams. Yeah, I mean, you were doing things off their potential. Now you got high school receivers catching 14 balls in a playoff game. I mean. It's, it's crazy the way you can feature them. The other factor I think that's interesting, we probably want to cover two things, and this is actually in defense of the evaluators. We're talking about late bloomers often versus early bloomers, relatively speaking. Yeah. So what I mean by that is, yeah, I can look at that wide receiver because that guy probably went through puberty when he was 12, and he had a six-pack when he was 14, and when he was 16, he was running a 10, 700 meters, right? The offensive tackle, he might be carrying some bad weight or he might be big, tall and skinny guy. And yeah. he's, he's pretty athletic. And this is my pet peeve and I'm going to go nuts. Everyone in the comments, if you're playing a drinking game, you can drink. I die inside when people actually question whether a six foot six, 280 pound, 16 year old can put on more weight and strength. It's like, that's the easiest thing for him to do, folks. What yeah. we can't do is make the most natural. Longer. We can't make his arms longer. We can't make his feet much more agile. We can do we can do some rope drills. We can do some stuff. We're not going to give him ballerina feet just through drill work. Okay. So the question is, I'm comparing a real projection when I'm looking at an offensive lineman often to this nearly finished physical product of an elite high school receiver. Now, that guy will get stronger and he'll fill out his body in college. C.D. Lamb, you know, put on 35 pounds between high school and the pros, right? Yeah. But good example. The larger point holds. You know, there are NFL running backs who in eighth grade, they weighed 195 pounds. And they're running a 4640. Take the equivalent high school uh, or the equivalent star NFL interior offensive lineman, Jason Kelsey, the all everything center for the Eagles. Yeah. What did he look like in eighth grade? Kind of a strong fat kid, probably. Right? You, you he was probably that kid that could grow some facial hair before he the probably had a full beard, but you didn't look at him and say, future NFL guy right there. Nobody. When you saw an eighth grade Earl Campbell, you went, you're in eighth grade. <laughs> so that is one thing I want to do offer some, some defense of these guys. Yeah. This requires true projection. And so to Justin's point, you have to overcome some of your laziness and really dig in and say, Hey, this guy, I think this is, these are the traits he's exhibiting as an offensive lineman, as a defensive lineman, as a safety 
that I think are going to be scalable. Whereas, you know, this running back, this wide receiver, their talent is apparent. Yeah. Do I really need 11 guys in my top 25 who play wide receiver? Right. I mean, it's that in and of itself, if you turn that product into your boss, the boss should go, Hey, come here, Justin. Come here, buddy. L- yeah. Let me show you. And the, hit rate, and the hit rate's not going to match up with it at all. It's not and that's going to so get us. Question, into, go ahead. My question is we talked about the marketing aspects and that Ian nailed that. I think that's really smart. Uh, but also these guys are trying to do their job. This isn't, just the yeah. cynical exercise for these guys. Yeah, They're trying sure. to do this. So I think we actually have a graphic which demonstrates hit rates by position of the top 100. And, and as we, right before we put that up, I think Justin and Ian might have something to say. No, I'm just going to add that we need to pay the bills. And when, when, when it comes to paying bills, we got we to gotta talk about our man, Andre, the lawyer. Listen, this guy is is tremendous. He helps out all sorts of people anytime you need him. If you're ever caught in this in, in a bad position, and we're talking about if you're injured, uh, you know, car wrecks, slip and falls, on the job injuries, eighteen wheeler accidents, wrongful deaths. Whenever that that occasion happens, you know, God forbid, Andre Lawyer's the guy that's going to help you. You have got to call this guy. 214-444-8808. Andre helps out at all times. Located in Dallas, but but give him a buzz uh, if you're reading this because, listen, you ever get stuck in that position, it can be pure hell for you. Andre the Lawyer's going to bring you out of it. He's going to help you in each and every way. He's a big member of Inside Texas. He's been tremendous for us, and, and we want to make sure you guys know that this is the guy you need to call. Andre the Lawyer, 214-444-8808. Now we shift into segment number two, which this one's going to be juicy. Y'all going to love this one. Now let's go ahead and, and pull up the numbers. We looked at positions underperforming by rankings. And this is the one that tells the tale, in my, in my opinion. This is where math and the numbers don't lie. We looked at the top 100 nationally from 2009 to 2018. And gentlemen, this is where you're seeing some pretty big gaps and differences in what we'd like to call hit rates, something that Paul ha- has really talked about a lot in pre-production. Yeah, so this is data compiled from The Athletic from between 2009 and 2018 at the top 100 nationally. So let's look at, it's a little busy, but once you start to look at it, you'll figure out it's actually pretty straightforward. The the first round stuff is fine. It's interesting. I'm just looking at drafted. Like, did you identify an NFL player? Hey, we've been uh, giving these guys a little grief, gentlemen, but hat tip to the gurus on defensive end to edge. 60% 60% hit, hit rate on the top 100, 66 of the 110 in, in the top 100 over that time period ended up getting drafted. Uh, and a pretty sizable number of that went in the first round. So they're doing a good job evaluating that guy. My pet theory is maybe these guys are apparent, meaning, uh, look, if, if a guy's an early bloomer, six foot five, long arms, super quick and agile, also star on the high school basketball team. We kind of know where this is going, right? Uh, Look at the bottom. So we kind of prepared you guys for this. uh, But Justin, Ian, and I were telling you the wide receiver, there's an incongruence between the high school rankings and then what's actually the reality. So look at that. 139, 138, I can't tell. Uh, uh, I'm not wearing my glasses. But 30.8% of those were drafted. That's not good, gentlemen. 
that's a deficiency. And in fact, if you look, once you get past, I don't know, defensive tackle, you're now under 50%. So defensive end, athlete, tight end, and defensive tackle. And then beneath that, I mean, the very worst performers, wide receiver, which we I think we hit pretty hard. But I noticed our friend Ian Boyd is smiling when he saw the linebacker data. Why is linebacker such a difficult evaluation, Ian? Is it a function of the spread era? Is it a function of we're asking these guys to do everything? Or is it the things that they do in high school don't translate to college? Uh, <clears throat> some of all of those. You know, I'm looking at this and my first thought is this. I like to use the rankings as a proxy for athleticism. The higher your ranking is, probably the more natural, obviously athletic you are. And so it's a really good way to gauge which, gauge which teams are adding pure athleticism to their roster, right? right? And that holds up really well here, except for wide receiver, which we've been talking about, and tight end, which is really high. So maybe we should come back to that later. Linebacker is the most obvious, like this just isn't about athleticism in the way that people think it should be linebacker is it's a very cerebral position right now because like you said we make linebackers against spread offenses today do everything you got to read how the line is blocking you got to read how patterns are developing you got to react immediately and then you either got to go battle with a 300 pound guy that wants to hurt you or you got to go chase a 4-4 guy who wants to make you look stupid and it's, it's just a miserable, it's just a miserable experience. <laughs> and so that, that leads to a lot of problems in evaluation and in development. Because if I'm a high school team and I've got a 6'2", 210-pound guy that's going to be like 230 with some college strength and conditioning, and he's smart and he's fast and he's strong and he's mean, and, and the back in the day I would have put him at Mike Linebacker and said, play tackle to tackle and go dominate their run game. Now I don't want to put him at linebacker. He's going to get hunted. I'm going to have to teach him a million things just to get him on the freaking field. And then when I do, he may or may not have the impact I want. So I'm just going to say, hey, play edge and go chase the quarterback. Hey, play outside linebacker out in space and just play run, see ball, hit ball. Maybe play safety. Or better still, guess what? we're putting you on offense. You're going to play quarterback. You're going to play wide receiver. You're going to play running back, whatever, you know? And so you just don't get top athletes, especially in the state of Texas. This has been a huge problem for the Longhorns. Top athletes don't get taught to play linebacker in high school with a few exceptions. And they're very notable like Anthony Hill. So it just becomes this huge. And so then like when you look at the rankings of top linebackers, it's usually just like, who are the only freaks that actually play the position amongst all the freaks out there? Which ones actually play linebacker? Okay. They're going to be top 100 by default. And then often they're actually like outside linebackers and they don't know how to play the position. And you don't know if it's going to translate for them when they move from like edge outside linebacker to, okay, now we're going to teach you a position called the mic. Here's the 500 things you need to know. You know, it's asking, Ian, it's asking a lot. Ian nailed that. And I, I, here's my only thing that I'd chime in with. If yeah. you look at the highlight tapes 
of high school linebackers for the most part. What is the guy doing time and time again? Shooting, shooting a gap. Shooting a gap. Shooting a gap, blitzing or run blitzing. Yeah. And he sticks someone in the backfield or he sacks the quarterback. And he's he's a he's a four-six guy and he's big and strong and aggressive and he's more athletic than any offensive lineman trying to block him on the high school level. And you watch it and you go, oh my God, this guy's a savage. Do you know what linebacker pops in my head when I think of that? Tevin Jackson. Anyone remember that guy? Yeah. Texas linebacker. That guy was the first off the bus looking guy. First off the bus, like wearing a a white wife beater t-shirt and his recruit photo all jacked. Yeah. Like, look like he's been doing push-ups like at at Rikers, right? Right And and you see his highlights, and it's just this great athlete exploding on people repeatedly on blitzes. You know what doesn't translate a level up, not just college, but of course the NFL eventually, just being able to blitz. Because the athletes get better, the schemes get better. And if they know you're doing that, and again, the Jimmys and Joes always relates to the X's and O's, they're going to exploit you. And Tevin Jackson, first off the bus, as, as I'm, if I'm unaware, he never made a dent at the college level. And I think he was very highly rated, like a top he was. 15 Pam, guy in Texas. Garnett Smith type. Yeah. So not not to say him out, but that type occurs every year and I've become so jaded to it. And I always just kind of roll my eyes and chuckle when I read the comments under those guys' highlights. I almost was worried Anthony Hill was that guy. And we found out he's not that guy. So this is a tough deal. And I got to say, I'm not surprised to see linebacker down there, but I do want to say, here's a position I am surprised to see. And it's athlete. That was the second easiest to predict according to these metrics, uh, over 50% hit rate. If you're a top 100 national athlete, you're getting drafted uh, yes. very likely if you don't get injured, if you don't self-select out with knucklehead stuff, etc. right? So that goes against the grain because what's the common thing, Justin, we read in every evaluator's write-up? Doesn't have a clear positional fit. Well, that's to his credit. There's a reason he plays seven positions and also plays the oboe at halftime and he's homecoming king and he's also a head cheerleader and he's helping. He's like, you know, doing field work. You know, he's, he's playing the white lines on the field before the game. It's Quandre Diggs, guys. He's playing quarterback because it's going to help Angleton win the game. We know what he could play. We know what he's going to be. And so I think this is fascinating that they are hitting on these guys even though I think the typical fan reaction is, oh, it's not a clear projection. I prefer this guy who plays only wide receiver. You're actually, in a weird way, diminishing someone's athleticism by saying they can only play wide receiver, right? I love that this dude is a shutdown corner and also a dual threat quarterback and also running back, et cetera. I'm losing it. Justin, throw me a lifeline. Hey, this no, this this correlates with what Ian was trying to tell you. He's telling you if the top in that top 100, there's a good chance most of those are your top athletes. That 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 jives exactly with what he was talking about earlier. And and and, and that hit rate's going to be high because the better athlete is what NFL teams are looking for. 
potential, like we talked about earlier. Doesn't have to be production. I'll give you an example. The number one rated athlete in the country right now is Terry Bussey out of a little 2A school in Timpson, Texas. And the biggest question is, well, what position is he going to play in college? Who cares? He's an incredible athlete who has won at every single level, including gold medals in track and field. It doesn't matter what his position is going to be because his athleticism is going to overcome any evaluator's you know, write-up. He's going to do, be able to do those things. I want to say one other point before we shift into our final segment. With defensive ends, I'm wondering, you know, with such a high hit, the highest hit rate, I'm wondering if it's because of demand. And I say that to, to I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in with Texas defensive coordinator Pete Kwiatkowski had a sales pitch to newly committed 2025 Edge at a Pleasant Grove High School in Texarkana, Texas, Lance Jackson. He said, "Lance, I'm gonna show you something. How many tight ends go in the first round on average?" And he looked at it because because Lance is a really good tight end. He's a guy that actually plays three or four positions. <laughs> Could probably fit in the athlete category considering he threw in the low 90s on the mound in baseball and can dunk he was actually a tremendous basketball player um and then he said well how many edge defensive ends go high in the draft and it wasn't even close and i think that's demand it's quarterback who can protect the quarterback and who can get to the quarterback those three things get asked before anything else gets talked about. And I think that's why you see the DN rate be so high. And I also think that's why the athlete rate in, in, in this example is so high, because you got a guy that can do a little bit of all those things. And like Ian said, when he looks at these recruiting rankings, he generally sees the better athletes are higher rated because they can do more things, but their potential is more. And that is what the NFL wants. Justin. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ian. No, I was going to change gear just a little bit, so you go ahead. Well, so I think that we you brought something up very important, self-selection. These are not passive actors. These are people choosing lines of work based on future earnings potential. Amen. So this graph, this, this wasn't shown to Jatavian Sanders, apparently. Uh, Jatavian's going to be okay, though. Uh, but uh, look – in the 1970s, okay, back when NFL players had off-season jobs, what flourished the 1970s? The heavyweight boxing, right? The 1960s. If you were a six-foot-three, 220-pound man or 240 and you got to train down, right, back then, and you're big and athletic and strong, is your best future earning potential – trying to become the heavyweight champion of the world or just even a contender? Or do you want to go play linebacker and make $45,000 a year and sell insurance in the summer? Mm. There is a there is a self-selection to this. I laugh every year during March Madness, gentlemen, when I'll find some dude who grew up in the Bronx, New York. He's a power forward for Ithaca. He's 6'5", 260, and the dude's just filling out his uniform and he's just jacked and he's explosive. But he has no – he's not going to play in the NBA, guys. He's too short. But had this dude, dude grown up in Houston, had this dude grown up in Atlanta, this guy's an edge. And he's not yes. playing basketball in college. Or a tight end. He's a tight end. He's, he's freaking – he's a future NFL draft pick. And we've proven that. We've taken dudes who literally didn't play high school football – Antonio Gates, 
and made them into one of the greatest tight ends in history based purely off of his basketball ability. So let's also appreciate there's a self-selection to this. And that ties in with my final point on this chart. And I think Ian will wrap it up for us and switch gears. Look at DT, defensive tackle. That's third from the bottom. I was surprised by that. I'm not. And here's (laughs) why. There's a self-selection of, I want to go maximize my earning potential. And there's a self-selection of, I eat too much. I don't like to work hard. Uh, I don't feel like working out. And I think more than any other position, not to generalize, this, I can think of so many guys that I saw in high school that I knew were going to be NFL players if they stayed on the straight and narrow and they couldn't do it. And many of them literally ate themselves out of college football and the NFL. Uh, many of I them. See those, I see those recruits every class, Paul. Texas, I'm not going to name names, but I can. I think you guys don't want to think too hard. I mean, I'll name a name. Taylor Bible was one of the most impressive juniors in high school I've ever seen on film. Okay. Defensive tackle. Two years, three years. I mean, he showed up as a freshman. I was excited. I went and go, I went to go see the first practice that was open. He had put on 50 pounds of bad weight. And effectively, his career was over because he didn't get into shape and and basically just sort of frittered it away. I think this position more than any other is prone to losing its potential off the field. So maybe that's just my supposition, but I'm just curious if if you guys have any thoughts or we can just turn it to Ian and wrap it up. That that was nearly Tavondre Sweat. Look at how big of a jump he made in coming back for one more year and being like, I'm going to give this one really good serious attempt and see what how high I could be drafted. And the it was a very stark difference between Tavondre Sweat was a really good player in 2022. Yep. In 2023 he was one of the most dominant players in the nation. Yes. And how much of that was just motivation and work and and not choosing the path that you've described, right? And their uh, bodies are predisposed to be that big anyway, so they're fighting an uphill battle regardless. Yeah. Well, if you guys know former college players or NFL players who are offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they go one of two ways. They retire and they get all cut up and they look amazing, right? Yeah. Or More. They, get, they, they end up over 400 pounds, right? And, yeah. you know, so it's it's very interesting. Uh, you, I, uh, you thought you wanted to switch gears? Well, I, I, I met an offensive lineman up here that went to a very small school in Michigan and to play football. And he was saying like, it's different up North. Like we had guys on our basketball team that were like five, nine, five, ten guards. And it was like, guys, if you played football, you'd be a Michigan, you'd be a Michigan state. You'd be playing in the big 10 because you had to play basketball. You're here with me. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, just, you know, it's just a different culture up here. Uh, Tight end, just to wrap up, I I think I solved my own question of tight end and why the hit rate is actually so high. I think it's because the tight end position has become increasingly more about skill, athleticism. And so it's no longer just like the three-star that Iowa trained up and developed and exploded because he was on a later developmental timeline. That's no longer the only kind of tight end that gets drafted. 
now you have like the obvious athlete like Jatavian Sanders that never necessarily even learned to block that well, but because the game has changed, can dominate on the field because the receiving the Antonio Gates aspect is now higher. So that I, that's my guess for why that hit rate is high. Because you're now you're select well, the more it becomes about athleticism and skill, the more you're selecting for okay, which guys are six four or bigger and are fast and can catch a football. And then it gets easier. And don't forget, Jatavian Sanders, and this is going to be great as we pivot, into stars do matter because as the math and, and, and the numbers show that, that that's accurate, stars do matter. Jatavian Sanders wasn't listed as an edge. He wasn't listed as a tight end. He was the number one athlete in the country. That, that was his designation. And so he had to get on campus and learn how to play the position of tight end. Um, you know, we, we hear it all the time. Stars don't matter, especially from parents, usually parents of kids that the recruiting rankings may not be as generous to them as they are to other players. But the math just says otherwise, Paul. It, 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 it's, it's, it's pretty stark when, when you look at it. And the NFL draft, to me, is the perfect example of justifying stars mattering. So I prefaced all of this by saying the idea is you need to hold multiple ideas in your head at the same time to really get this, this show, right? F. Scott Fitzgerald said the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. So we just said that there's these inefficiencies in the recruiting evaluation market. And we talked about all sorts of stuff and we said this is this is lazy or this is harder to project or this is that. At the end of the day, the big data, the big numbers, stars do matter. And here's why. I'll just cut to the chase. Five stars, and this represents less than 1% of people who are being recruited by major colleges. They are 15 times more likely to be drafted in the NFL than a two-star. Do stars matter, gentlemen? A four-star is five times more likely to be drafted versus a two-star. Now, Texas fans have a skewed idea. We, th we think four-stars grow on trees, right? Four-stars represent a tiny fraction of the recruitable recruits that are out there. Uh, the vast majority of recruits are two-stars or no-stars, right? There's also you know, a fair number of three-stars. Four and five-stars are very rare. Four stars are five times more likely to be drafted versus a two-star. Do stars matter? 63% of five stars have been drafted over the last five years. So if you're rated a five-star over the last five years, and by the way, this hit rate for the gurus, the people we just gave some grief, right, yeah. about their wide receiver fixation and some other positions, they're not as good at projecting. Their hit rate keeps rising. It's not getting worse. It's getting better. 63% of those five stars over the last five years have all been drafted. Now, they might have been drafted in the sixth round. Doesn't mean they're all first rounders. Exactly. I'll take a six-round draft pick as my starter on my college football team. That, that would be fine. I'm not resisting that, right? So the broader point is there's inefficiencies in this market I think there's psychological reasons for it. I think there's 
maybe some work ethic reasons for it. And I think there's some difficulty of evaluation reasons we talked about. Your early bloomers, late risers, et cetera. Uh, hey, do, do we hold it against anyone that they couldn't identify the two-star who didn't play football till he was a junior, blew out his knee as a junior, so missed half that year, only played as a senior. He's in rural Wisconsin. He's 6'5 and 230. He hasn't filled out yet. And then he goes to Wisconsin, becomes an All-American. He goes to the NFL and he becomes a, a, super, a future Hall of Famer. It's J.J. Watt, right? It's, it's that kind of guy. I don't hold it against you if you didn't identify him. I mean, I'm sorry. No one Justin did. Will if they're from East Texas. If they're good enough. Justin will right. know. There's no doubt about that. Justin knows the one and a half stars. They're going to be playing in the league one day. But And let's not forget, Paul, you know, three stars, it's almost become a negative in, in, some, yes. in some ways. Yes. Do you know what the three-star ranking means? You're projected to go to the NFL. Now, granted, they, 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 there's a bigger pool, obviously, of the, of the three stars. That, that, that's maybe more of your majority outside of probably the two. But those are still projected to be NFL guys. And a lot of times, like a Devondre Sweat, that's a three-star. But, but, but you can, but, you know, and it, that's where you, I think the development and the evaluation of, of programs and within staffs becomes important. Like, look, we, we don't want to attach ourselves to stars, but they do still matter when you're trying to, to, to make sure you find the right guy, when you're putting up a board, a big board of 50 guys that they're evaluating for each cycle. Okay, which ones are which? The star ranking may not matter in that room at that moment, but still, that is a projected NFL guy. And I think the negative connotation with three stars is so overblown. I, I don't understand that. So big data, big picture, right? we got to hold multiple ideas in our head at the same time. 5% of three stars get drafted, okay? However, big data isn't helpful for specific players, and that's just right. Salt Lake City, Utah is a very safe city, okay? That's what the, all the data tells us. If you're walking at night down an alley and you see a guy standing there staring at you holding an ax and there's blood dripping off of it, don't go, Salt Lake City is a very safe city. I'm going to continue walking towards him. That's what all the data tells me. No, now you're in a one-off singular situation. Maybe turn around and run out of the alley. Now, Ian would confront him, take the axe, and arrest him. Like a boss. Justin and I would run. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. So that's the point is in any individual player, don't let the big numbers – there are certain – when you saw Malcolm Roach high school film in Louisiana, it didn't take many – it didn't take many reels to go, I get it. I get the value proposition. Small town, Louisiana. He's not a clear position. He's just this incredibly bouncy, super athletic, 250-pound guy running around, doesn't even know what he was doing yet. Uh, we're going to put some weight on him, and he's going to go play in the NFL one day. But he's a three-star. We shouldn't take him, right? No, 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 no. You've got to also trust your evaluations. You've got to trust your Justin Wells. And that's the value proposition of, Austin, of, of inside Texas. we got guys like Justin. We've got guys who are – truly dialed in, particularly in their region, that can tell you the real deal on these players beyond the broader star rankings. But at the same time, don't ignore the star rankings. A five-star, 15 times more likely to be drafted than a two-star. 
So, and Malcolm Roach is still getting that nice paycheck every Monday, 17 weeks in the last part of the year from the New Orleans Saints. Little yes, Jordan sir. Humphrey is still getting a paycheck in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. PJ Locke is still getting a regular paycheck in the NFL. Guys, those were all three stars. Those were all guys that you had to evaluate and, and, and look away from that rankings. But at and the end Justin, of the day, they, they, they what, had it. At what position did those last two guys you named, what were they designated as coming out of high school? Lil Jordan was an athlete. athlete. He played running back at 6'4", 6'3", yes. at South and Carolina. P.J. Locke was ATH. Yeah, he was an athlete, too. They, they thought he might be a corner, and then they figured out, well, you're probably more of a nickel or safety. You're a smart guy. So, yeah, so they it, it all correlated. Ian, you got to drop it for us right now. Br br bring it home, buddy. I'm bringing you in for the save. You're Lee Smith. We haven't talked about quarterbacks. So, everybody tune in. We'll revisit this topic, and we'll hit yeah, quarterbacks. We're going to have to – We'll talk about all the other stuff that we were that you will tell us we were too dumb to mention in this hour. <laughs> I was about to say this has been tremendous. Now. Every week we're going to be doing this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. this has been tremendous. I mean, I, I absolutely love this. I hope I hope the the viewers thank you guys for making us a part of your day. Please like and subscribe the Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com. This was a fabulous. This is a this is a subject we even talked about it earlier. We're going to have to break this one down because to me, there's not a more fascinating position going into the draft than, than a quarterback position. And I've learned getting to know some of these guys that were at Texas that are now in the NFL, kind of how that all goes about. And sometimes it's not how good you are. Sometimes it's when a certain quarterback goes in a certain part of the draft, all of a sudden your value shoots up because now there's a run on quarterbacks and that a lot of times determines what round you're drafted in. It determines how much money your first contract's going to be, depending on what a team does in the draft to start a run. And it's not just quarterbacks. We see this in other positions as well, but quarterback is the most interesting, the most fascinating, and it's a boom or bust mentality, even though some of these guys are two stars, three stars, like Colt McCoy, who winds up having a 12, 13-year career in the NFL. Gentlemen, any parting shots? Because this has been tremendous, tremendous YouTubing. We will have to revisit this in different ways because it's a deep topic. And uh, this is a pretty deep bowl. We've got little spoons, right? There you but, go. But uh, I want to talk about the quarterback specifically. And, and this will get to X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's and the marriage, which is really what football is. And I want to, I want us to explore why these trait heavy quarterbacks who used to always fail are now having an incredible hit rate. So it's a teaser. I love it. To be uh -oh. continued. <laughs> to be continued to be continued gentlemen thank you so much again like and subscribe to inside texas football youtube channel we sure do appreciate your time we'll be back next week for another edition of x's and o's we'll probably have our main man drew kelson back in the mix as well he was having to do a few things so we we, we had to do, try to we had to try to to, to Im imitate him in the aggregate i don't think we did because i think that's impossible because kelson's beautiful but we're thinking about you drew Happy birthday to my man, Ian. Paul, thank you for leading this discussion. This was tremendous. He teased it. Come back and see us. Thank you for joining Inside Texas Football YouTube channel powered by InsideTexas.com.